All right. Well, good morning, Harvest. How are you guys doing today? All right. All right. Okay. All right. Uh, let's. Uh, that may have been the most sincere thing. I have this tendency to then ask and try to solicit a bigger response, but then maybe you're faking it at that point, and then I've just caused you to like fake it at church, and there's nothing good with that. So we're just going to move forward. Um, but hey, I don't usually have the opportunity to be here. My name's Mike. I serve uh, at Harvest as our executive pastor. And usually where I'm at, um, this stage of the game is up uh, or down, depending on your perspective, down at Lake Nona uh, congregation there. Uh, pastor Lee, who's our senior pastor at Harvest, so we're, one, we're actually one church with three congregations in two locations. Okay, so um, you all know what's happening here because you're here. Uh, at Lake Nona, there's two congregations at Meep. So uh, right now at the same time at 10 a.m., there's a Spanish service, Harvest in Espanol, that's meeting at a, the same location, like the same building, uh, as an English service that's uh, where Pastor Lee is today. So we kind of flipped today so that congregation gets a chance to see him. Uh, and, you know, so thank you for sharing him with, I'd say us, but I'm down here, so I still don't get to hear him preach today. But uh, it is really good to be with you guys. And uh, we're continuing the series, though, that he started and spent uh, the last three weeks on in Genesis. And if you kind of were tracking ahead and you know where we're going, Today's story, you can turn in your Bibles there. If you have like a physical Bible or a Bible app you want to open, we're going to be in Genesis 11. And it's a story about a tower. But before we get to that one, there's a current tower that you probably know. I'm Before I say what it is, let me just show a picture of it. And you can yell out what that tower is. Anybody? The Leaning Tower of Pisa, right? And what, what country is that in? Italy. Some, I heard it somewhere. Yeah. So you, uh, you guys know a little bit about towers already. So it's interesting. So, uh, so you, you might know this, but this is an intriguing tourist site. Uh, not for the reasons it was originally built. Like it's much more popular than if it had gone right, I think, and it wasn't leaning. But maybe you know this, but why does that, that tower lean? Originally when the tower was built on the property, it was kind of a boggy, um, sandy area, and for a tower of that size uh, and that weight, for it to be built correctly, there really should have been both a very solid foundation underneath and a very deep foundation. What was built instead was about a three-foot deep foundation for a tower that size. And some of you cringe because you know, like, that just isn't going to work. And it didn't. So, um, so there was a, an inadequate foundation that was built on uh, the Tower of Pisa. Um, any of you ever have, any of you have kids that you've raised in your house before? Maybe you're still raising parents in the room? I'm going to hear you make some noise, parents. There you are. Okay. Uh, all right. So I, uh, I, maybe you remember this, but with, with your kids, one of the things I liked to do when we had building blocks Right? You'd build a tower with those building blocks. Or you might, as a, remember, as a kid, building a tower with, with blocks. And I don't know if it's just a boy thing versus a girl thing, but the funnest part to me about building a tower, even as an adult that was still doing that, was at the end of the tower being built, you do what? You, you knock it down, right? And I don't, I don't know whether that's just a guy thing. Girls, did you do that too? Like, that, was that the highlight of the tower? So, and, and guys, we even get in trouble with that, like when we're in elementary or like preschool age, because let's say you're in actual like preschool and there's another kid building a tower. What you want to do is knock it down. I don't know what that is. Maybe that's the sin nature in me, in us, but, um, but here's the thing. It's, uh, it's maybe interesting. It's become a tourist destination to see a tower with an inadequate foundation. But what we're going to see in the passage today and what we've been looking at through Genesis is a much, a much more deep spiritual need. There's, there's a foundation in our lives that God has always intended us to function in a certain way. And as we've been walking through Genesis, we're seeing really the, 
the negative, the destruction, um, the pain that can happen when we build our lives on an inadequate foundation. And so, in the best case scenario, what can happen with that is we might have a a life that kind of leans this way and it just doesn't work the way that it should. Our relationships don't function the way that we know that they should. And even our relationship with God, we may struggle and we kind of feel like this tower, this this tilt, like it's just not quite right. And in a worse scenario, we maybe have lives where you've kind of experienced not just a tower that leaned, but it felt like things fell apart and fell over. Maybe that was a, a relationship or perhaps you're back at church, but you walk through a season where you just, you just feel like spiritually you fell over. You kind of ran away from God and, and now maybe you're back here again and, and perhaps giving God a different chance in your life and, and you've experienced some pain through that. And so we're going to look at this story together and, and I hope that you'll all see yourselves in that. Uh, and then throughout, I'm going to reference a little bit on this whiteboard as well um, as we dive in. And um, there was just a, a picture of not just today's passage, but the story of Genesis as a whole that I think that's going to help us um, with. But will you pray with me? God, I am uh, I'm thankful to be here. I'm thankful for those that are here in this room, and um, that we have a chance to, to do what we just did and even sing songs to you. I was thinking of the words of that last, last song. Um, that if, if, honestly, that was our heart's desire, we could kind of just pray and say amen and head out, that if really at our deepest place, we just loved you, Jesus, that you were our heart's desire more than anything else. Um, so much about our lives would align right uh, and work right. And uh, as we dive into this passage, I, I think there's probably others in the room like me where that's not always, you're not always what my heart desires most. And, and because of that, we get off and we need redirection. We need you to pull us back. And so I pray in this time, whatever, whatever's stories are represented here in the room, you know everybody. Whatever's been done to them, whatever they've done this week, whatever we've walked in here carrying, um, God, I ask that more than anything else, we would, we would sense your presence, we would hear your words, um, that you would shape our hearts. Uh, Jesus, that we really would desire you, uh, that we would love you, that we would be devoted to you. We ask these things in your mighty name. Amen. Um, so Genesis uh, chapter 11, um, we're going to read through that together in a moment, but let me just back up a little bit and give you where we've been headed in the series. Maybe you're jumping in today, but you missed the last few weeks. We've been spending uh, the last few weeks uh, as a part of an eight-week series. We're going to hit uh, eight key stories in Genesis. So in week one, we kicked off with creation, and we looked at how God created everything with a purpose, and that included humanity. Um, as, a, as a church at Harvest, we actually have a purpose statement. Um, you can see that on the screen here, that we exist. Like, why do we exist? Why did God make us? And that's to love God, to love people, and to impact our world. We can see that in creation, like God created Adam and Eve in the beginning. He made them to love each other, to love him, to love God. And he actually gave them stuff to do right out of the gate. Like work isn't the result of sin. Um, Work was always purposed by God. Like he gave us things to do to impact our world. And so um, what we're going to look at today are a way that you can kind of summarize that with two key words. And so you want to, I encourage you, consider these as we talk today. We might summarize love God and love people with God's emphasis on relationship. Like, why are we here? There's a purpose of relationship, right? Love God and love people. In addition to relationship, there was also an impact our world part, right? Like, there's something that we are supposed to do. God not only created us for relationship, 
but for responsibility. Relationship and responsibility. We'll talk more about those as we go through. But God has created us for great purposes, to love God, love people, impact our world, for relationship, for responsibility. We saw that uh, in Adam and Eve. And then just like if you're in your Bible and you turn a, a couple of pages over, that quickly gets wrecked, right? So then there's temptation and sin and, and the relationships that God created with him and people get horribly broken, right? And because of sin, our relationship with God is damaged. There's a separation between us and God. And that second week, we even talked about how uh, that separation like led to literal separation of Adam and Eve out of the garden where they had created. There's a separation between people and God, but also between people and each other. Uh, you have the first murder between brothers, just chapters into God's beautiful creation, like sin wrecks those. And even in our responsibility, the work that he gave them to do got damaged as well. It became harder. And, and we're going to see this work problem in today's passage. And um, so, right, so that was the first couple of weeks. Then last week, we talked about the flood. Uh, and I don't, I'm not sure how Lee put that here, but my memory of the Noah story, like when I think back, when do I first remember that? It's like preschool at church. Anybody grew up at church and you remember the artwork at maybe the nursery and preschool? And in hindsight, as an adult, I just, thought at times, like what, a, like, what kind of a twisted Bible story, right? So you've got, we like these pretty animals in the ark, but honestly, the, the subtext and the main point of all that is God destroys everything else that wasn't on the ark, humans and, and animals. And in that, last week, the idea really was that even though there was judgment, God's grace is what led his judgment, that there was grace through judgment, because God's been working a story, we're going to see through Genesis, to get what he created as good to be the result in the end. And so we're still in the middle of that, that story, but God's working that. And now we get on the other side of the flood, and there's uh, in chapter 10 in Genesis, you see this, um, what's referred to as a table of nations. All of these people are described and their descendants, and then we get to this story together in the Tower uh, of Babel. And we read this in verse 1. It says, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. Um, so Shinar, think, um, think Babylon, all right? So this location, we actually get a hint at, uh, actually in Genesis 10, right before, there's this guy Nimrod who's referred to in Genesis 10 as a mighty hunter, uh, and he must lead some kind of kingdom because it says in uh, Genesis 10, 9 and 10, about Nimrod, he was a mighty hunter before the Lord, therefore it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. All right, so the Bible's pretty clear sometimes, right? He was a mighty hunter, therefore we called him a mighty hunter. Okay, but it says the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. So interesting, we get a hint to that, and now we're seeing this, these people in the land of Shinar, um, think like what became Babylon. Verse 3 says, and they said to one another, come let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had uh, brick for stone and bitmen and mortar. And so implied in this passage leading up to this, there's these people that if you remember in the side of the flood, uh, when Noah came off the ark, God blessed them. And one of the things he told them was, was to multiply, fill the earth. There's this desire for that one family to now expand. And that must have happened at some level. But now we got a group of people that they're intent on staying together, coming together, and building something um, together. Implied in this is that there's one ruler um, there's still one language, one religion, one government. Let's keep reading together. In verse 4, it says, uh, and now catch, catch the words of these people. 
a uh, little, little side bonus for you. When you're reading in Genesis and, you, and there's dialogue, like there's a quote, rather than we're being told something, we're hearing what someone says, it's a way that, that the writer and God is emphasizing, pay attention to this. This is going to be important. It says, they said, come let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the whole face of the earth. Let us build a tower and let us build a name for ourselves. Um, that tower, you may wonder, like, what, is, what does that look like? We're not totally sure, but in the, the era that this would have taken place, the tower that they described probably looks something like, like this. This would just be an artist's rendering of maybe what that looks like. You can call it a ziggurat. Um, so it's this steeped staircase. Uh, so there'd be a, a tower to the heaven. Now, here's what's interesting about these kind of structures in, in the ancient Mesopotamian area, all right? So they were built with this picture. The worldview at the time was, well, there's the earth, and we're on that, and somewhere above the skies, that must be where the god or the gods are at. And, and so, you know, we have reference to maybe the higher we get, the closer we are to those, those gods or to that god. And so the, the ziggurat, the temple, this thing that they built was either connected to a temple or it might have been like the temples on top. But the point it was this. There, might be, there was this worldview, this picture that this would be the place that God or the gods were going to create a staircase for them to come down from heaven and, and then we can, we can have our worship for them at the temple. But there is this perspective that, that we make things for the gods. We serve the gods. We, uh, we offer sacrifices to feed the gods, right? So there was this very human-oriented picture of what God is. And, and God's not happy about this, though. If we read a little further, look at verse 5. Uh, he says, that, it says this, The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man uh, had built. And the Lord said, um, Behold, they are one people, and they have, done, they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Verse 7, God says again, so let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. All right, so God's, there's a sense of judgment. This, this tower is like a another story in Genesis of, of God's judgment against human sin, all right? And you may read this at first glance and go, what was the, what was the big deal? Like, what is God actually upset about? Why is there a judgment against this? Why does, why does that matter? Like, we build big towers today and skyscrapers today, and what's, what's the real problem? Again, if we look back, though, at verse 4, look at what the people's intent is. Let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top to the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. Think about how twisted this is. Like, we're going to build a religious building so that we can have a great name. Now, you, you and I, were much we're much uh, further along in our development than this. I mean, we would never, like, think religion is all about ourselves, right? We would never have a religious practice so that we could make a name for ourselves. You don't know me well. I'm a very sarcastic person, all right? So that, like, I, I say that with, with sarcasm because it hurts me to think how much religion and even our society that is done in the name of God is often maybe motivated by something other than God's glory. And, and we can... We can try to do great things for God with the absolutely wrong motivation, and it's not really for him after all. This is what God understands, that people are building something that may be a religious building, but it's really all for them. 
God's going to put an end to that. Now, here, here's what's just, this is such a brilliant story. Um, as you study this, and so people that are smarter than I am that, like, understand Hebrew, the way this story is structured, like, nine short verses. It's this brilliant short story. I think there's even, like, some sarcastic humor to it. When God says, all right, let us come down. The people have talked about, let us build this building, right? Same words. Let us get bricks, and let us make a name for ourselves. Uh, we're going to build it to the heavens. And God says, let us come down and, and see this thing that they're building. So he, implied in that, all right, picture, like, God, these people are building this thing as if, like, it's going to reach the heavens. And implied in that, like, God can't even see it. He's got to go down there to see the thing, right? So God has to descend to see this thing that they think is so big and amazing, but it doesn't even make a mark. He's got to go down to earth to actually see this thing. Okay, so there's, there's this humor baked in and God's purposes behind what he's going to do. But, um, but behind that, too, there's, two, there's two things in, I think, these people's heart that are expressed, two loves, two devotions that are not focused on God, but are focused on themselves. Um, the first is, maybe not as obvious, but I'd say it's a love of security, a love of security. And the second, maybe is what stands out the most, what we'll spend more time on, it is really a love of ourselves, a love of praise, right? It's a glory to ourselves. Um, why do I say security? Well, well, think about this. At this point in time, what would be most normal might be like small tribes of people, um, smaller groupings of people. And, and, and that that smaller grouping of people, like it didn't take a whole lot of other people to come and destroy or rob or steal from what you had, but if you could build a city that, that was large, that had walls, that we grouped together, there could be this sense of, of security. Um, there are times, I think, in our own lives, if you're anything like me, that sometimes our, our sense of security and what we want, um, this happens for me as a parent, there can be times I might be more focused on the safety of my kid maybe than God's will for their their lives because I worry I'm not trusting the Lord. So the opposite of this love of security is actually a trust in the Lord. Now they're building a tower because they want to make a name for themselves, they say. That's the other side. There's this desire for praise, this love of praise, of, of glory. We want to be something uh, amazing. And in opposition to that, well, what are we actually designed for? And, and that's the glory of God. If you think about Genesis in the first couple of weeks in the series, what, what Pastor Lee unpacked for you and, uh, and Bruce who had filled in on that week was this, this picture of man as the image of God, that we were made in God's image and his likeness. And there's part of that um, that deals with our relationship, like we were designed for a relationship with God, and also our responsibility that God was like going to rule the world through people. And so he created people as his image bearers, that he had purposes to expand what he started in the beginning through people who would be obedient to themselves. But that isn't what we see here. What we see here are people that want to build a name for themselves, forgetting God. All right, so let's continue. Um, we left off in, uh, I think, verse Six, if we continue, or let's repeat verse seven, and God said, let us go down there. We're going to confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. Verse eight, so the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the earth, and they left off building the city. So despite the best intentions of these people, right, it's God's will and God's plans that happen, right? So they intended, let's keep us all together. Let's build this tower that reaches the heaven. Um, God intervenes, and None of that materializes, right? The tower is so small, he's got to go down to inspect it, and they actually do disperse um, instead of staying all together. And therefore, verse 9 says, Therefore its name, 
was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. You know what's interesting is in the, the Babylonians later in the city, their understanding like of their name for, for Babylon was something different. It was to them it meant the gate of the God. How amazing, right? Like that was their understanding of Babylon was it's the gate of the God. And, and God gives the Hebrew people with the Bible a different picture and he names that place right, after a confused language <laughs> and a people who couldn't do what they intended to do, right? So the greatness, the glory-seeking of people in their mind, God actually puts an, an end to. And so what's, what does this have to do with you and me? All right, I think we, we can relate in some ways naturally to this, but I want to draw this out a little bit further for us. And here's a, here's a picture for us. If you think of a triangle, all right, and at the top of the triangle, let's just say you're in the picture somewhere and God's in the picture somewhere. Uh, this is an easy one. Where's God probably in this triangle? At the top. Good for you. Okay. Now, we're going to look at the idea of relationship, all right? Our relationship with God and God's purpose for us. And so what, uh, what I'm going to actually put there is, uh, we'll explain it, but we're going to say not just God, but Father, There is a way going even back to Adam and Eve in the garden. If you look at uh, like um, descendant lists that go back from Adam, we get Adam who's then referred to as the son of God, right? There's this, this fatherly relationship to God as creator that was purpose for how God wants to relate to us. If we fast forward way to Jesus, right, he refers to God in this intimate way as, as our father. He even teaches his disciples to pray our father when we interact with God. That at the, the top of our relationship is God as is, is father. And, and now here's what's supposed to happen for us. What does this flow toward or should flow toward in our life? When we think of where we are, we have an identity that's connected to God as father. I'm just going to write ID here. So think identity. Who we are and understand that we are is either going to be something we create on our own or we inherit from God. What God knows is he's created us to inherit an identity from him. He's our father that defines who we are. He's our creator. Therefore, we're his image bearers. All right. So much of our world, though, doesn't doesn't live this way. When we think of the foundation that we're talking about building our lives on, you will either build that foundation as an identity that's based on God and who he says he is, or what? I mean, what's our alternative? What, maybe it's, what do I just feel, right? So, we, so if it's not God, then my identity is just something I have to come up with. Uh, I have to wrestle with and think of, and how much of, see, I, I've got five kids uh, currently, um, they're from elementary to currently. You never know, right? We're rolling more. I don't think there's, my wife's like, no, we're done. All right. So we have five kids, um, probably permanently. Okay. So um, of those kids, though, some of them are middle school, high school age and that. And um, when we have conversations, we wrestle with just their things and hear about their friends' things. And so much of their generation, they don't have a sense of identity that's inherited from God. They're, not only are they wrestling with, but they're being told they have to. You just pick. Some of the most deeply human things of their identity, they're just saying, here's an option list. 
you choose and how, how absolutely hard, detrimental, backward, we're wrecking a generation of kids that don't have a sense of identity from God. This matters, not just for our teens, it matters for us, all right? So our relationship, God is Father, is supposed to determine our identity. And then from there, we actually have things to do. We'll call this obedience. There's a work to do. But that work isn't just like whatever we want, right? God actually tells us things that we should do, and, and so we should, we should obey. There's things we can do for God, but check this out. We get this wrong, too. That's supposed to come out of our identity, right? First, we're supposed to rest in this. This is who I am, and we understand this is who I am. Therefore, this is what I do. Now, I think for some of us, we're a lot smarter, right? We get this piece, but we bypass it, and we try to have this thing this way. Right? We skip the, the relationship, and we just try to do for God outside of relationship. We might even try to serve in the church, but it's, it's connected. It's absent of our relationship. And so we perhaps try to do things for God, and we get frustrated at times because our perspective is, is off. Like we might have this view of God that's really about our performance more than it is about his grace in, in our lives. And and it makes sense because our world works that way. Like all of our other relationships seem to function that way. They're kind of, unfortunately, they're kind of transactional, right? Like if I do good by you, you're going to do good by, by me. If I work hard at work, I'm going to get promoted, right? Uh, if I slack off at work, I stop showing up, I'll probably eventually get fired. Um, if I go to a vending machine and I, I put a $1 bill in, None of us have cash. I go to the vending machine and I try to pay with Apple Pay, right? Then I pick something. I give it money. It should give me my soda or my drink or my Gatorade. This is our lives, right? Like we do and we get. And we carry that into our picture of God. And we think, I serve you. I do these things for you. Therefore, you should serve me and do things for me. This was the picture of the Tower of Babel. We're going to create a religious place. We can do the things for the God. And that God or those gods protect us and they do for us. That isn't, that is, is not God's perspective, right? God does for us because of who we are that he made us to be. So we have a role in doing for God, but you know what it should be based out of is this unshakable relationship between us and him. We don't perform for God hoping to get something from him. We've already gotten from him, and he just wants a response of obedience out of, out of love. So when we destroy, when we get this backward, this triangle backwards of relationship, we, we may go to great lengths to even try to serve God, and it, and it can be empty. Now, maybe that's been your perspective. Some of you have grown up in a church, perhaps, that uh, the, the churchy word we might use for that is, is legalism, that there's this sense of um, you better do this and you better do that, and it's, there's this focus on these are the things that you do and these are the things that you don't do, and, and just stay in your lane or else... I don't know what God's going to zap you, right? Uh, and that something bad's going to happen. It's this backward, this backward view of our lives. So in, uh, in this story of Babel, um, their explicit aim, though, was their own, uh, their own glory, right? It wasn't about God as, as Father, but they were still intent on building something. You know, the reality is that our, um, I said this, let me just say it again, our obedience without relationship is going to lead to something false, false gospel, like it's not really good news, it feels like legalism, um, it, it will lead to something to false and, and broken. You can read this on the screen uh, about your glory. All right, this is what the people were seeking, were their glory, but unfortunately we can do this too. Your glory, 
is too small a thing for your life to be lived for. The reality is if, if this is our identity, if we are made in the image of God, my glory is too small a thing to live for. Like this isn't a put down for us to say you living for you is too small a thing. It actually honors what God has made in you as his image bearer. Because we are made in the image of God, nothing short of the glory of God is worthy of our devotion. There's a, depending on the guys in the room, I almost hate to admit I really liked this movie. Okay. So um, The Greatest Showman, anybody, you could admit at church you watched The Greatest Showman. Okay. So I saw this the first time, full, full disclosure, I didn't know it was a musical. Um, Bethany and I went to see this mu- movie. She's like, this is a great thing. Okay, great. It's like new. Uh, for some reason, I beat her down. I'm sitting alone for a moment with, uh, with popcorn. And then the boys start singing. I'm like, it's a musical. Okay. <laughs> so we'll see how this goes. Uh, but, okay, it, an amazing story. So I, I was thinking about this because yesterday I, uh, I was running, and on my playlist there's a few songs from this musical that, uh, that works their way in. You can judge me all you want on that. Okay. <laughs> but, um, but I was thinking about this story and the storyline of, of The Greatest Showman if, and, and how much of, right, the story is all about, well, it's a lot like the people of Babel. Like, we're going to build a name for ourselves. And in trying to build a name for uh, himself, the main character, is wrecking actually his life and his family's life and in that. And there's this one song, though, that's not about him um, that is, um, I just think it's amazing in the quality of the song and unfortunately in the truth of this. You might have heard this one. Okay. Any of you with a musical voice, someone's going to sing this. It's not going to be me. All right. But the words of this song are amazing in their painfulness to it. Never be enough is the title. All all the shine of a thousand spotlights, all the stars we steal from the night sky will never be enough. They'll never be enough. Towers of gold are still too little. These hands could hold the world, but it'll never be enough. There's There's a reality that when we don't get this right, best case scenario, our lives are going to lean a lot. More realistically, we're going to break and we're going to fall under the weight of a a life that's trying to be all about ourselves. And God in love, God's, God's judgment, we see this throughout Genesis. I hope you'll see this in your lives. Even God's judgment in our lives is is about grace, that he knows this is what I've made and purposed, things are off purpose, and I, like a a surgeon who will cut out a cancerous growth, he's he's working to get things back on on track again. We see this through Genesis. We're going to continue to see this, I hope, in our own lives. And so we start with relationship I mentioned, but I want you to think about that other word in this responsibility is as well. If we think about not just relationship, but responsibility, at the top of that, um, we, we wrote father for relationship. Um, I'm going to write king to summarize God's role. When we think of the work that we do, the, the, what he's called us toward, that God is like the cosmic king, right, over earth, and he's purposed to, to rule the earth through us, like through people. And so God intends us to now relate to him as king, and that looks a little bit different. Now, here's, um, here's where this is, I think, good news. Um, I said this at the beginning. Let's put it back on the screen about our, our purpose, that your purpose, think about this word king, is to bring the kingdom of God into the world 
around you, right? We said as a church, we kind of describe our purpose statement as to love God, love people, and impact our world. This helps explain, well, what do we mean, impact our world? Uh, it's this. It's that our purpose is to bring the kingdom of God, the rule of God, into the world around you. So think about where you live or where you work or, or where you study or, or where, you, where you play. How can you bring God's influence, his leadership, into those relationships and into those situations? And I, I think for some, you may feel like, I'm just not that significant. I mean, that sounds really big and grand, like I'm going to bring the kingdom of God into my workplace or, or to my family, but maybe you're, you just don't feel like I, I'm that meaningful or that powerful. That How does that, that really work? Uh, and some of you, you may wrestle with that. Perhaps in your, uh, your own story, you, you may look at some of your past and think maybe I've disqualified kind of myself from really being used by, by God in that way. I mean, how many, show of hands in here, how many of you have ever sinned in your life? There's a few hands up. All right, thank you. So there's not all hands are up. Some of you just did in church. Like, you just lied. All right, you didn't raise your hand. So you said, but um, don't raise your hand on this next one. But, I mean, how many of you have ever, like, you've sinned, like, really big? I mean, you think back, and maybe this was some years ago, but, but there's this, this thing that you know, and you just don't want anyone else to know. There's this weight that you carry about that in your life, and perhaps you're like, I, uh, I, I just don't feel, this all sounds good, but I, I'm not that qualified to, to really bring the kingdom of God anywhere in my life. Can I ask you to do this? Uh, if you would, raise two hands. This isn't a salute. But raise these two fingers and then do this for just a second. Try to rest them on your neck. All right, if you're in the right spot, you might feel your pulse beating. I, I'm nervous up here, so mine's probably beating a little bit faster than yours. All right. Um, here, here's the reality. If you have a pulse, God is not done with you yet. He still has a purpose in your life. He, he isn't finished with your story. And the really good news here, when we think about our lives dedicated to God's glory, is that our lives are all about his story and not ours. And so they're meaningful, but it's meaningful toward him, right? It's about his story, his glory, uh, not ours. And so what this can look like in our lives, think of this. God is king. Now, here's the really cool part in that. What he gives to us is his I'm going to abbreviate authority, his authority. So God has actually, as king, entrusted his people with his authority. We see this in the New Testament. Look at what Jesus says, like his parting instructions to his, his little church at the time, his disciples. He says this uh, in Matthew 28. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, right? Jesus is king. He's got all authority. But check this. It's been given to me, so you go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them uh, to obey everything I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age, right? Jesus is saying, my authority I'm giving to you so that you can, I mean, think of this word, the obedience, the works that we do of, of God. But maybe for some of you, you're like, I just don't, I just don't, know that God can really use me in a, in a way, but here's, here's the cool good news about that. Jesus doesn't only entrust us with authority, but he also gives power. The people in Babel, they liked the idea of power, but again, they were seeking it in their own way, but, but God's not, God actually desires to empower you in amazingly powerful ways in your life, but it's linked still this direction. He's king. He's giving you authority, and with that authority, he entrusts you with 
with power through the Holy Spirit. Look at what he tells those same followers just a little bit later in their timeline. In, the, in Acts, right, he's got these people. He just said, you're going to go reach the nations with the gospel. But before you do that, he says to wait until I empower you differently. He says, you will receive power, he tells them, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Until the ends of the earth. For, for some of you, you're seeking to serve God. But maybe what you need to do is remember that not only has he given you authority to share Jesus with others, to spread the gospel wherever you live, it's your family, where you work, where you play, but that he's empowering you by the Holy Spirit. And maybe what you need to do uh, in this season is tap into that power. Perhaps you're trying to do good things for God, but you're, you're working at it out of your own strength. Um, I, uh, I mentioned being on a run yesterday. I, uh, I try to do that just to like, not get overweight and not go crazy, right? It's a good stress burner. But you know what I, I can't do is like running on a treadmill. So I can run outside. I feel like I'm going somewhere. Uh, but it's really hot outside, so there are times we've tried like, the treadmill running. But you know what's obnoxious to me, at least, about running on a treadmill? Like I can run miles, and I'm in the same spot, right? Like there's a sense of I'm working, and I'm working, and I, and I haven't gone anywhere. And maybe you feel a little bit like that as a mom or as a dad or in this season of your life where you're working, and, and you're working, and you feel like you're just tired. It, it, and maybe part of that is you're working on your own strength, and we need to remember that God, God will empower you to do the works he has for you. Uh, in your lives. And so as we continue this series in the weeks ahead, even through, through Genesis, I want you to, to, to think about what is it that, that God, like in this season of your life, has for you. Um, we mentioned the, the obedience, the purpose side of things, but if you think of your responsibilities and this idea of bringing the kingdom of God into where you live, where you, where you work, and, and where you play, there's, a, there's an obedience side that all of us share the same mission of sharing Jesus with others. Um, that, that's your purpose, right? So your identity is you, you're made in God's image. If you're saved by Jesus, you're a child of God. You're his daughter. You're his, his son. That's your identity. Rest in that. Your, your purpose is to share Jesus with others. It's to bring the kingdom of God wherever you live and where you work and where you play. Uh, but sometimes it's helpful to think a little more specifically. You, God also gives you assignments. That, that's wherever you're living out the purpose right now. And for some of you, your assignment, it's really all about your home and the kids that you're raising in this season of life. Or maybe your biggest assignment right now is where God's put you in a, in a working place or the school that he's placed you in. And so as we close, what I just want you to do is to take a moment where you're at. And I want to pray for you. And I just want you to, to give God a moment. Is there a thing with your relationship that you just need to, to trust him and to say, God, will you just, that, like the song that we sing, will you pull my heart that it's all about you? Or maybe there's a, a responsibility. Maybe you've been working hard in some way, and, but not under his power. Or maybe you need to take a step forward and do something, like to trust him to, to step out and share your faith or to do something new. But I just want to pray for you and maybe what God's laying on your heart in this. Lord, I ask um, for each person in this room and um, people that you have made, you've created in your image, you even then lovingly died for them Jesus on the cross for them to, to remake them again, to restore the image of God in them. And God, for each person in this room, I pray that there would be just a deep foundation of, of identity in their relationship with you. 
in a sense of purpose and living out under your authority, under your power, wherever it is you'd call them to in this, this season of life, Lord. And in all of that, God, I pray for these individuals, I pray for Harvest as a church, um, that all of that would be for your glory. Um, that every relationship that we pour into, every uh, church service that we get together, every congregation that we plant somewhere, God, all of that would be built on a foundation of just love for you, obedience towards you, and all for your glory, God. For each one of us, if there's just any selfishness in our hearts that we're, we're making things about us, God, will you remove that, lovingly cut that out so that we can point others to you. Jesus, we pray this in your name. Amen.